back everybody to Healing for the Soul. I am your host, Robin Stoltman, where every day I feature different guests to help you become the best version of yourself through different methods you may not have already heard of or thought of. Today I have my guest, Salmon, Sammy, on the show talking about trauma, guilt, and anger. Hi, Robin. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here. Hi, Sammy. So what is your specialty and who do you like to work with? Well, Robin, I'm a hypnotherapist, which means anything that has to do with the mind, has to do with habits, has to do with thoughts, emotions, we can work on. But the reason I'm particularly drawn to trauma is because trauma changes the way we look at the world. It changes the way we look at our relationships and ourselves. And another thing that trauma tends to do is to get us stuck in patterns. So no matter what outward action we might take to remove that particular pattern, it's not going to change until we emotionally change the way trauma is stored in the body and in the mind. So that's why I'm particularly drawn to trauma. And I suppose that my target audience or the people that I like to work with would be ones that may or may not even know they have trauma, but they have some sort of trauma where they internalized some belief system that now needs to shift in order for them to move forward with the things that they would like to move forward with. That makes sense. So then what's the best way for everybody to contact you with your time zone? Well, I'm in California. I'm on Pacific time zone. So um, like, for instance, with you, I'm three hours behind. Um, so um, the best way to reach out to me is through my website, um, www.dontwaittolive.com. Um, and from there, there's many ways to access me. There's my emails on there, our, our phone numbers on there. Um, and then um, what I would suggest, though, is to like read up a little. I have some blogs there. I have some videos up that people can watch and get an idea of the type of work that I do. Because once they start, it's very intense work. It's not just, oh, you know, you just sit back and you just listen to a few suggestions and you're done. It's we're actively working together. I'm asking you what thoughts are coming up and what does that remind you of? And how old were you when this happened? So you're working with me the whole time. And it takes a little bit of, of commitment to be able to do that kind of work because we're, we're going to some, some places that you may have repressed. I would agree with you from a little bit that I did work with you. I'm like, this was a lot more intense than what I was expecting. And that's like the truth. It's definitely more intense when you're doing trauma work versus any other work out there. Yes. At least and in my yeah. opinion. And it's the most transformative. Because even in my own journey, when I first started to do the work with a therapist, with an MFT, and with trauma specialists, when it really shifted for me is when somebody started to actually access my trauma. Because trauma forms this protective layer of resistance, right? So, for instance, if a kid, let's say a 12-year-old, sits down to do a paper and he's like, oh, I just want to play video games. And the parent is constantly working towards like, oh, how do I break my kid's video game habit, but they never access the trauma that the kid might have had when he might have turned in a paper that wasn't that good and might have gotten a bad grade on it, gotten yelled at, uh, yelled at, or even thought of himself as like not as smart as his other brothers or his other classmates. To protect him from that trauma, now his brain is saying, don't even get started. But if we don't access that trauma, we don't release the real reason why he's not doing that paper, then he's not going to ever be able to get to a place where there's no resistance and he can just easily get started. It's always going to be that uphill battle, two parts of him trying to do two different things. 
one protect him from failure and the other to actually do the paper and have success. So that's how trauma plays such an important part. That almost sounds like procrastination though at the same time. Or, mm-hmm. comes, or that wouldn't that come out as procrastination or another oftentimes, symptom of it? Mm-hmm, that's exactly what it is. So oftentimes it'll come up as procrastination. That's why you'll always hear people that talk about wanting to change procrastination. One of the things that they're so motivated to change, the reason why is they'll say it. I don't know why I do this. It doesn't make any sense. The thing is not even as hard. Or when I get started, I really love it. I don't understand why I just can't get started. Maybe I'm just lazy. And that's one of the ways that you can tell. It's not really them. It's one specific thing that's happening, some specific mechanism that's saying, no, don't do this. I will protect you. That's my job. I'm not going to let you do this. So it's going to come off as procrastination, but it's really not procrastination. It's your brain thinking that it's doing the healthy thing based on prior experiences. That is interesting. So then how does the unhealed trauma, would that, how would that affect parenting then? So if a parent has unhealed trauma, then they will tend to get very triggered at the first sight of a problem with a child because they don't want to see that same failure that they've internalized in themselves repeat with their children. So that'll take away the amount of space that they have to really listen and be present for the child. So let's say I have no trauma. I see my kid playing a video game. I might just look at that and say, okay, let's talk about this. What is going on? What's your fear? Oh, okay, that's your fear. But I won't immediately panic like, oh my God, he's going to be a failure like me because this exact thing happened to me and now I must protect you at all costs. And then my brain will spiral and I'll do the very, like the very reptilian, the very animal response of just fight or flight and then either yelling at him or punishing him. But I'll never be able to even get to the root cause because my own trauma of not wanting to repeat the same mistakes will get in the way. It'll create that defensive mechanism of yelling, of getting angry. But if I have no trauma, I can sit through it because to me, it doesn't feel like the end of the world when he does that versus to a parent that has trauma, it'll feel like the end of the world because one, they were taught by their parents that yelling and, and you know blaming and making someone feel guilty is the only way to get any results versus someone that doesn't have trauma knows better, knows that No, that just gets very temporary results. I'm not after temporary results. I want these habits to stick with my child for a lifetime. I want them to be there even when I'm not there. I don't want to just scare them to death and just do things that that I'm telling them because when they get old enough to leave, they're going to like be so quick to like leave when they're 17 with like moving with a friend because they can't wait to get away from me. That's not what I want. That's not solving anything. So that's why we really want to look at our own traumas right? And then make sure that we're not acting out of those when we're working with our children in parenting. That would make a lot of sense because I actually noticed a couple of my own this week in regards to schooling, like with my child. I'm like, I noticed a few of mine where I didn't want to send them to school because of the hurt that I dealt with in school. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so that's where it's coming from. But I'm like actively working in my brain of, okay, this is my son. This is a different state, different school system. This is his life. This is not mine. You know, like I'm his mom and there's certain things that I'm like, I don't want him to be taught, but I'm like, just move my own stuff aside. Let him experience it. If he likes it, then I'll let him do it. So that's actually what I did. Cause I'm like, okay, now I recognize mine. 
so I can move forward. So I agree with you on that, how that works for as a parent with that unhealed trauma versus if there's no trauma mm -hmm. you know, as a child when you've already worked on it ahead of time. Yeah, and because you have been doing trauma work on yourself, you were able to have that distance when you chose it. You're like, wait a second, could trauma be at play? Okay, yes, I can see how it's at play. Let me do something about it. But for someone that is not even aware they have trauma or may not even believe that they have trauma, will not even do the step that you did. You got a hold of it as soon as you became aware of it. But most people choose not to become aware because they're like, no, because if I start to think that I have trauma, then I'm just going to make myself believe I have trauma. That's not how it works. A trauma specialist that knows what they're doing is not going to just make you haphazardly go into traumatic memories just to do nothing about it and just, just to stir the pot. No. They're there to really help you relieve it, reframe it, and to free you from it. And that's what we want. But instead of feeling so scared of our traumas, we should be curious about what they are so we can actually affect change that can stick with us for a lifetime. Because once this work is done, there's no falling back to where we were before we did any trauma work. Because we repair, we literally repair our nervous system with trauma work. We repair our vagus nerve. We actually fix our choppy breathing and the way that our mind becomes disconnected with our bodies when we go through something difficult. So that's the, really should be our topmost priority, really, as people and as society in general, is to heal ourselves. I just got to thinking about for panic attacks, because that wouldn't that have a lot to do with that then, too. Not just the vagal nerve itself, but also not having, having this trauma that would cause more panic attacks in somebody that's already prone to having more of the anxiety disorders. Because I know that anxiety is normal. To a certain extent, you know, because all anxiety is this, the fear of unknown. Well, we all have that, but I'm like, but then how would that play into like the panic attack part of it? The panic attack is when the anxiety has gone past the point of just a healthy warning mechanism of what you need to do. And it's put you in some sort of a helpless state where you feel like you have no control no matter what. So that's when the anxiety has overpowered your nervous system. Healthy, normal anxiety is like, oh, shoot, I think I left the oven on. Generate enough cortisol, just enough to jump out of where I'm at and go check my stove before it's too late. True. That's healthy anxiety. But it, panic attack would be when I just sit here and I'm like, oh, my God, what if it's too late? What if my kitchen's already burnt? Oh, my God, I don't even want to go look. It's not worth it. And I just sit there and I do this to myself right? That's what a panic attack is. And again, the way trauma plays into this is if trauma has taught us that no matter what I do, I can't escape bad situations, then your brain is going to say, okay, I'm not going to give you the energy to jump up and go do something because your life story is that no matter what you do, things turn out badly for you. That's what trauma teaches us, essentially, is this wrong message, right? So then the brain's like, okay, then why am I going to waste all this energy having you go do this when your life story is no matter what you do, nothing works out anyway. So sit here and just panic. That's what we know how to do really well. We have a very strong muscle for it. So that's why the panic attack feels so dangerous because it's like you're so hyper aware of the danger itself, but you're also hyper aware of your own helplessness in being able to tackle it. That's really, really powerful. Like to know that that's, where that's coming from is like it's that strong where it hijacks the nervous system 
Yeah. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way. So is there a way to heal from this trauma and the guilt and the shame that may be surrounding, you know, these issues in general? So one of the things that we can do is a mindfulness practice where we can sit and watch the emotion. Unfortunately, what happens is for someone with trauma, because their nervous system is so overstimulated throughout the day anyway, that when the smallest of thing happens, it really overloads them to the point where sitting with a difficult um, sitting with a difficult emotion can be too traumatizing. It can be re-traumatizing because it's just reminding them, oh my God, something is seriously wrong with me. At least when I was distracting myself, I wasn't aware. That's why I'm very careful with mindfulness. It can be really good, but for someone that doesn't know how to regulate their nervous system, sitting with it can intensify it and really freak them out. That's why I really suggest hypnosis. So to be able to self-hypnotize, one of the things that we can do is make ourselves a recording. So um, we can create a recording where we first calm ourselves down, then we bring up the trigger little by little. The key is not to bring it up all at once, but little by little, and then reteaching your body to get acquainted with the, with the environment, reconnecting with the body. One of the things that happens when we experience something traumatic is our nervous system disconnects us to from like regular environment and hyper focuses only on one thing it's like everything in our body gets very hyper focused our vision gets very narrow that's why if you're angry and you're looking at somebody's face that's making you angry your your peripheral vision is going to be actually narrowed down you can't see anything but their face right versus if you're just taking a walk and you're having a happy day or whatever, you're going to notice everything. You're going to notice the colors. You're going to notice everything. So one of the ways we heal our trauma is we reacquaint ourselves with our nervous system. So one of the things that people can do on their own when they experience something difficult is to bring it up little by little, bring it up a little, sit with it, correct the breathing, correct the posture. A bad posture is nothing other than just protection from feeling certain emotions because when, when we're hunched over, it's harder to feel our heart. So if we've been hurt a lot, we're going to be hunched over to protect our heart, our vital organs, right? So we learn to reconnect with the body with the little trigger. Then we have to look around and we have to name colors. For example, look around means look at like, you know, my, my curtains, for example, red, look at the, the other, you know, objects that are in the room, white, green, what that's doing is it's telling your nervous system, okay, if Sammy's noticing the environment, and she's not focused on one thing, that means it must not be so important. So I'll just let it go. Another thing we can do is describe objects without any emotion. So let's say that my mother in law, I don't have one, but let's say my mother-in-law upset upsets me. Every time I think of her, I'm just really upset. So what I could do is I could bring up her face and then I can start to notice the environment, look around, let my vision unnarrow, um, start to describe, okay, the wall in front of me is white. The, the paint looks a, a little bit chipped or it looks a little bit smooth and silky. Okay, on the ceiling, I notice this. There's this one bar that's going horizontally. And, and what that's doing is it's engaging more of that mind that's more analytical, more logical, more observational, and less emotional, less hyperactive. It's the part of us that's engaged when we're doing a science experiment. Oh, this color turns blue when I mix in this chemical. That's what we want to engage more of is our logical brain. So those are some of the practices we can do at home. Of course, our trauma therapist is going to go a lot deeper than that. They're going to bring up things from your childhood. Then they're going to reprogram you to look at them differently. Once they're stored and filed away differently in the brain, then you cannot feel them the same way. 
once it's considered resolved, then your brain is not looking in the environment to match that because there's nothing to match it to because you've reframed the old hurt. It's not going to look for new things to match to. So it's going to stop noticing things that that bother you or upset you. When somebody's mean or gives you a dirty look, it's not going to immediately go to, oh, great, this person hates me. What did I do? It's not going to go to that victim mentality once you do that inner child work. So those are some of the suggestions for repairing sort of your nervous system from this kind of trauma. That's really interesting. I was taking notes just in case you were wondering what I've been doing. I'm like, I was taking some notes because I'm like, I had more questions that I had thought of. And like one of them was for like the hunched over to protect the heart. So I was always taught that I was always, well, I was told that it was because of lack of confidence. That's why like my shoulders, like a lot of people have their shoulders rolled in is because mm -hmm. they're not confident. And I never stopped and thought about it that, yeah, that's to protect the heart from being hurt so many times. It's like, that was just like, whoa, that was powerful. Cause it's like- Yes, and there's an overlap, Robin, because the more your heart has been hurt, the more you've been abused and made to feel smaller, your body will want to protect the heart, but at the same time, it's also going to lead to, to underconfidence. So it's not the posture that's leading to the underconfidence. It's just that the two are coexisting. If I've just been told, oh, you can never do anything right. G go away. I'll do it myself. Just get out of here. The reason my posture is going to be hunched over is there's too much sensation going into my heart because that's how one of the areas where we feel our nervous system feels and emotion, that's the trigger to the body. Oh my God, something's wrong, run, or something's wrong, fight. So the first area that's impacted is the heart. So the posture immediately tightens around the heart. So some of the nerve endings get blocked and the sensation to the heart is lessened. So we don't feel as much pain in that moment. So a lot of time posture is getting blamed, but it's actually protecting you from pain. So the solution is not just to fix the posture and try to stand up straight no matter what happens, it's actually to heal the hurt that your posture is trying to protect you from feeling in the first place. And a lot of times what I'll notice, and eating disorders, for example, is a really good example, is what happens very young when we are, especially women, because women have such a need to protect this area because our reproductive organs are there. So from an evolutionary mm -hmm. point of view, we're also trying to save future generations. So when True. your are made to feel threatened, one of the areas we tighten is we clench this whole like stomach, intestine, you know, uterus region to protect it from, from pain. So if my dad is looking really upset and he's coming at me, like charging at me, and he has beat me in the past, the first area I'm going to try to protect is just really tense around my, my uh, uterus area because I want to protect that for the future baby. I don't want that to get hurt. I'd rather he slap me in the face or something, right? So what happens in trauma trauma tells you hey you need to remember how you did that because remember it protected you from your dad so always keep that area tight never let it be untightened because you don't know when the next threat is going to come so when we clench that area so hard all our lives and we feel no sensation there ultimately another part of us is like hey you need to feel sensation there you cannot be disassociated from the body here's what i'll do i'll make you overeat so you can feel that bloated feeling. You can feel that like being really, really full feeling because that'll redirect your attention and your blood flow into that region that you're tightening, right? Because when we have it so tightened, blood is not flowing there. So the overeating is to get some blood in that area so that it, the cells there don't completely die off. So again, the eating disorder is getting blamed, but it's just there to make you feel that region again because we have it so blocked off from not wanting to feel pain. 
So posture, eating disorders, these are just symptoms. They're just like pointing and saying, hey, there's a problem in that area. You might want to take a look at it. But a lot of times people go to just fixing the symptom, but they never look at why their body was doing what it was doing and what it was protecting you from. The real threat is not these things. The real threat is what they're protecting you from. That's what we need to be looking at. So that's one of the areas that we can really start to, to improve is becoming aware of, okay, this is the symptom. What could be the underlying cause? And heal that rather than just the posture or rather than just the eating disorder. That is amazing because I'm just like thinking about now I got more stuff to work on, but that's okay. I love how you talked about the mother-in-law part because I'm like, I hate mine, <laughs> but um, that's, beside, that's, that's beside the point. Um, so like we talked about like the, for the mother-in-law part for the rewiring using, um, I'm trying to remember what you had said there for the rewiring part, but I was wondering about like EFT, would that help release that energy for the, this mindfulness you were talking about? Um for like the mother-in-law example with the mindfulness, I was like, how would, would EFT, the emotional freedom technique with the tapping, would that help at the same time to do that rewiring and that energy to release that? Yes, EFT is actually really great for that because what you're really doing is you're, you are incorporating the mindfulness aspect, but then you're also incorporating touch and you're also tapping into some of the pressure points. So one of the areas that I might tense up at when I'm overthinking something or when I'm not feeling safe and I really feel like I have to think about it might be right here. So when I tap, um, I essentially get an outside incentive for that feeling to be able to move and not be blocked. While I'm focusing on it, if I'm also tapping on it, then I'm kind of creating that like, hey, it's okay to release because it's very gentle. It's very loving. You're also supposed to, if you're doing it correctly, you're also supposed to hold a loving intention and kind of have a mantra. So all your focus in that moment is going to that. You can't really be in fight or flight when you're doing that. So that's a very good feedback loop also to, to like give your, your body and your mind. Um, it's really good to get the body flowing again. But again, the, I will always come back to this is if there is something that your body's like, okay, the tapping is great and I love it. But at the same time, what about that one threat? Like, let's not forget there's still, still that threat. Mm -hmm. So we eventually still have to go and work on that too. But this is great for, for like the techniques, like noticing the environment, tapping. Also, there's a butterfly tap. So there's the, the tap where you kind of hug yourself a little and then you tap like that. It's almost an EMDR technique. Also, this is like, how you can do EMDR on your own, because what it's doing is left brain, right brain, left brain, noticing right brain, oh. noticing, and it's increasing the communication between the two. And the reason crossing over and doing one at a time really helps is because it says, okay, emotional brain, right? Because the right brain create, uh, controls the left part of the body and the left brain controls the right side of the body, but also there are also independently in charge of emotion versus logic. So you're teaching yourself how to go back and forth between the two brains. So that's why that's really, really good. Um, another thing that we can do if we have trauma, this works really great, is horizon gazing. So I think I talked about it in one of the other podcasts with you, but maybe not. Um, no, I don't remember. Okay, so this is very good, Robin, also for you to know, and especially the area you're in, uh, there's more nature and there's less traffic. And um, True. If, if you can find the horizon, if you don't live in a big city, really crowded city, and you can see the horizon, um, when, during times of especially sunrise and sunset, let your 
a gaze kind of unfocused by looking at a horizon. Because when we're looking at something close, we're short visioned. When we look at something further, our vision opens up. One of the other things that happens when we're relaxed or feeling safe is our vision is not narrow. We're not focused. We're not stressed. So by twice a day, sort of horizon gazing for 30 seconds, 45 seconds even. I mean, longer the better. But if we can even do it for that amount of time, that's teaching our brain that, okay, there's pockets of safety in the day. Yes, you're going into fight or flight a lot, but you're also, you're, you're also able to calm the body down. And the vision is a very big thing that's linked to, to trauma because vision is one of the first things that's impacted when there's danger because we need to be able to see better in order to handle the threat. So this is a really good way to even calm yourself down when something terrible is happening, like somebody has just yelled at you or a report was late and now you don't know what to do. You can horizon gaze to kind of create that regulation again in your nervous system. It's very effective. Uh, but those are all good techniques. The, you know, tapping, uh, NLP, uh, there's brain spotting where you find out exactly where you look when you're stressed and then you look at that one spot. And this is, should be best done with a professional. I'm not, um, I'm not trained in brain spotting, but it's something I did use with a therapist myself many, many years ago. You look at a spot, it's a little bit like EMDR, and then you just create mindfulness and it unlocks whatever was stored in that part of the vision, whatever trauma was stored. And it actually reframes the memory that you were storing there. So those are some really, really good techniques to, to be able to use if we need immediate release. That's extremely powerful because I'm like, I got, I got a lot more tools in my toolbox, you know, to help myself. I mean, like, I love being able to have these different tools just myself personally, but I'm like also to share with other people because ultimately it's like when I can learn a tool, this is where I get excited. It's like I learn a tool and then I'm able to help somebody else and they get another, they get similar or better results. It's just like, it lights me up. So I'm, I don't know, like if that's how it is for you too, you know, like when you see these different results and people are just like, this is why I love what it is that I'm doing because it's, it's like, like the best way I've ever been able to describe it is it's like, it's like having a new baby every time <laughs> my clients aren't babies, but I mean, like, that's how powerful it feels for me. Yeah. Because we're breathing new life into these souls, right. That have just given up or they've just thought, Oh, I'm past the point of being able to be helped. Or this is something I just have to be living with. And when we're able to show them, not just tell them, but actually show them like, look, this is what you were able to accomplish in just one session or just in, you know, three weeks of working together. Imagine what's possible for you. That moment is very powerful. It's a reaffirmation of why I do what I do and why this is my life purpose. So it's great for me also to be able to see that in others, not just in myself. And that's why I always just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm always just very eager to educate people because when they first find out about trauma work, they're like, oh, I don't want to do trauma work. It's just going to be another therapist that's just going to talk about my childhood, that's going to bring up a bunch of stuff. And what's the point? I've already forgiven my parents. This is not about forgiveness. It's not about acceptance. It, it's Those are natural consequences of what happens in trauma work, but that's not what we're after. We're actually trying to repair your nervous system. It has nothing to do with forgiving anybody for what they did. Great if we get to that point, which we will, but right now it's about making that part of you feel safe again, that you disassociated from, 
right? Um, it's about your body and how your body is responding, how much, how much adrenaline is it producing when you hear a voice that's similar to your dad's. That's not going to go away just by talking about your dad. We actually have to mm -hmm. sit, bring up that image. We have to see what part of you is coming up, how to make that part feel safe again, period. That's what trauma work is. There's very little talking involved. There's like maybe 10 to 15 minutes of just talking when we first start a session. But after that, it's like we get to work and we start repairing. Your eyes are closed. We're not talking. I'm giving you some feedback, but we're just seeing what your body does and we're releasing it from the body, from the, the cells at a very molecular level. That's what trauma work is. And I remember that too, like when you talked about that for like the little bit of work that we did. And I'm just like, I remember that for the trauma part, like how much it wasn't just the talking part. It was truly different experience than like most traditional work out there that's known. And it's just like, this is the complete opposite. Was not expecting that. And it was like what you just said, it was not a lot of talking, but it was more like eyes closed and reframing it and changing it. But it's mm -hmm. extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful because your body doesn't really trust so much what it hears, but it trusts more what it experiences. So what I mean by that is if you come to me for something um, and you say, Sammy, I'm feeling really bad about this. And I tell you, Robin, you're too good for this. Don't do this to yourself. I'm just talking to you. Your brain's like, okay, I already know I'm too good for this. How does this help me actually do it? But then if I lead you through how to feel good, how to not, that's much more powerful because you'll be experiencing it. It's people that think they can heal trauma just by talking almost to me sounds like saying I can learn basketball just by reading books about it and just by <laughs> watching movies, right? No, your body's before it will ever let you get good at catching and dunking and, you know, like, you know, actually shooting hoops. That's what your body needs to experience. It's muscle memory. Same way we create muscle memory with this work. That's very different from the way the muscle memory currently is as a result of trauma. It's like rewiring the body. Very different type of work, like you said. That definitely reminded me when you said about for the experience part with the law of attraction. But a lot of people get it wrong is because it's like they're not taught that you need to have that experience. If you can experience it with the emotion part, that's what brings the law of attraction where you can have, you know, the things you do want besides the focus mm -hmm. part of it, focusing on what you want versus what you don't want. But me, I'm like, I've gotten so good at attracting what I don't want that I'm like, okay, do with that, do what I am to attract the stuff I don't want and just flip it. And it's mm -hmm. really is that emotion. It's that the experience part of it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we're so good at attracting what we don't want is because we tend to feel the negative emotions very, very vividly with a lot of detail. Oh, my God, if I'm late, my boss is going to yell at me as soon as I walk in. He's already going to have that look on his face that says it. Then he's going to say it in front of every. And we are so good at mapping it out. But we never sit there and think before going to work, hey, today I'm going on time. So I know when I walk in, I'll feel so peaceful. And my boss will smile at me like we don't do that. We don't do that with the positive. We we think like, oh, something good happened. Yeah, that, that, that that's great. Let's move past it and try to create more good things. That's a very wrong attitude because we're not really teaching our biology. We're not giving it the feedback loop that, hey, it's good to do these 
good things like be on time and get to our car like 15 minutes before we're supposed to start driving out, take a couple minutes to just sit there because it's just really putting us in a calm state and then get to work early because that'll feel good. We don't do any visualization or picturing, but if we do something wrong, we relive it a thousand times, reinforce constantly. This is how I'm supposed to feel. This is my normal. Every time I'm picturing that bad case scenario, I'm just telling myself that's what's normal for me. And my subconscious is taking notes the whole time. Okay, this is what Sammy wants more of because clearly she's picturing it with a lot of detail. So we want to undo that and picture the opposite in that much detail as well so that our, our brain can kind of undo the negative wiring. So most definitely it's good to release trauma and let it go. And so again, for our audience, what is the best way to contact you with the time zone? Um, so Pacific time zone, um, com. One of the good things about, um, despite my time zone, about the way I run my business is I have slots available all the way, sometimes up to seven or 8 PM for me which means people in other countries that might just be waking up, for example, and it's only like seven their time, right? But uh, because I'm open so late, I'll be available for them eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And, and same with people that are, you know, working on the East Coast, I'm available for them later because three o'clock my time is like six o'clock theirs. So that's why I'm very flexible. And weekends also are available with me most of the time. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. I really appreciate it. Today was very eye-opening for me and I'm sure for our audience as well. I appreciate it. You have a thank great you,